Welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm Colleen McCoy-Sika, Director of Professional Learning for NCEA. This podcast is sponsored by William H. Sadlier. For over 188 years, Sadlier has been providing meaningful catechetical and proven academic resources for Catholic educators. Check out Sadlier Math and see the many ways to partner with parents to support their child's math learning in school and at home. Learn more at www.sadlierschool.com forward slash sadliermath. Today's guest is Dr. Matthew Bayranavant. He's a district math coordinator in Massachusetts and the author of several professional development books for parents and teachers, as well as a professor of math and education at two local universities in Massachusetts. Finally, Matthew is an educational consultant for Sadlier School Math. I am pleased to have Matthew on the podcast today. Welcome. Hi, Colleen. Thank you so much for having me on here today. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you and to tell you that I am so excited. I've been listening to some of the old episodes of your podcast. In fact, the one that featured you a couple of weeks ago. And I have to tell you, I'm very excited for our conversation today. Good. So am I. And when we when we met and just started talking a couple of weeks ago to prepare for this, I was thrilled to just hear some of your philosophies and really just the things that we were talking about made so much sense. And um, and I think that people are going to uh, enjoy the podcast and really get a lot out of it with our conversation today. Absolutely. Just just to share what my philosophy is, is my whole life is based upon changing the ideas related to mathematics. I am a firm believer in finding a way to make it authentically engaging because when you look at the STEM field, the science, the technology, the engineering, kids always enjoy being in it. And then you have us, the ugly stepsister of mathematics that always is the one that people say, I don't know how to do this and I can't do this. And so I'm working to change that mission and we'll be sharing some of my ideas related to that today. So. Matthew, I am a former English teacher. And so I have to say I'm guilty when I do professional, I, I do re, uh, regular professional development with um, with schools here in Arizona. And I, I have to say, um, I'm going to make a confession here that when I'm doing my PDs, sometimes I get stuck. People are asking, okay, so how do I apply that in a social studies classroom? How do I apply that in a science classroom? I can answer all of those questions. And when they say, and what does that look like in a math classroom? I get stuck. So I'm one of those people that's like, yeah, I know where what it looks like everywhere else, but I'm not quite sure what this looks like in a math classroom. So you have the expertise to uh, <laughs> to help me today too. So hopefully I walk away with with some uh, some some education from you as well. So let's let's go ahead and dive into two really challenging topics. Um, you know. Talking with parents about math instruction and talking with parents about remote learning, uh, those are two pretty sensitive areas, actually. So let's just tackle those right out of the gate. Why don't we? What would you say? <laughs> That's okay. What would you say are some of the math teaching techniques that were learned during the remote learning of the last couple of years that, that have been carried into the classroom to enhance instructional effectiveness? 
Well, you bring up a very good question in that we have all been through very difficult times for the last 18 months to two years with COVID-19 in regards to all education. And on the one hand, we are the most part, we are back in a traditional classroom and we wanna forget about the past. It's important to say, well, there has to be some things that we have learned and have done that we can utilize going forward. And one of those things really has to do with the use of technology. Um, I will tell you many of the teachers that I work with had been very averse to learning the new technologies. And this kind of forced them to be able to learn. Two things in particular, the one is the Google Classroom. Uh, that has been a huge benefit in which we are now still using that in this year, even though we're back to full in-classroom instruction. And the second technology I really think is great is the idea of Jamboards as an interactive tool to be able to keep up that interaction, especially in, in the area of mathematics. That's something that I see staying with us for a long time. Outside of the technology, two things related specifically to mathematics I think was gained uh, through this pandemic. One is many students were struggling uh, during this time, especially on their assessments. And I'm a big believer in the idea of allowing students to retake assessments as being a critical part of the learning process. Mathematics, more important than anything else, is built upon prior knowledge. So if students don't learn a particular concept that they need to, then when they go on to the next chapter, they're gonna be at a disadvantage. So I saw a lot of teachers promoting the idea of retaking assessments as a way to help that understanding. And finally, we've seen teachers of mathematics become a little bit more dynamic and engaging because many times when students would have their cameras off or we don't even know if they're online or not online during these times, we had as teachers to find a way to say, hey, we really have to focus on the engagement with more difficult times of being online. And I saw a lot of math teachers stepping up to the plate to do that. That's great. So one of the things that you just said was that, you know, Google Classroom and Jamboards, I've heard teachers say over and over, you know, over the course of the last 18 months or so, what a gift those have been. And even though that technology had been available before uh, it, the use of it was forced, um, that's definitely something that is now much better understood and is now probably just, as you said, going to be used effectively moving forward. So, you know, right? Always looking at the silver lining of these things, right? I would estimate, this is not based on research, but just being a practitioner, that probably prior to the pandemic, no more than 20% of teachers were using Google Classroom as a resource, as a skill, as a technology. And now that we're post-pandemic, I would say it's in the 90 percentile of teachers that are comfortable using it. And I think it's a great way to be able to help students with the learning not just when they're out of school or they need to be out for remote for whatever purpose, but a way to keep all people, including parents, informed about what's happening on a daily and weekly basis in the class. Absolutely. It's that engagement piece for, for everyone. So now you just mentioned something that let's segue in, into the next topic here, because engaging parents is that's huge. And in Catholic education, 
that our primary philosophy in Catholic education with regard to families is that we partner with parents to educate children in the faith. The parents are the primary educators of their children. But learning math seems so different today than when, when you and I went to school. Um, certainly, I, I can speak as a parent when my children come home with their math homework, it looks different than you know when I was a kid and it's harder to help them. So in your role, how do you work with schools to support the parent's role as primary educator? And when the content of mathematics is often challenging for both the children and the parents, how does that work? So let me begin by saying that I do work both in the public school as well as Catholic schools. And I wanna compliment the Catholic schools and Catholic education as being a stronger proponent of that parent-school or parent-teacher relationship as compared to the public schools. But nonetheless, we all have work to do, not only on the frequency of our communication, but how we communicate and have parents be an equal partner. So based upon some of the uh, books that I have, uh, I have written, a lot of research was done. And surveying over 1,000 parents, we found that parents have four general feelings about mathematics and mathematics education. Parents feel intimidated, frustrated, worried, and confused. Those were the four overarching thoughts that they had when we said to them, how would you describe math and math education? And that is kind of scary that these are how parents are feeling. And I'm not referring to parents of high school age kids or college age kids. I'm talking elementary and middle school age kids. So we continued our research and we found out what is it exactly parents want in regards to that relationship with the schools, with the relationships with the teachers. And we again were able to categorize it in four core wants. So the four core wants for parents, they want to feel helpful, intelligent, confident, and familiar. So how can this be done? Well, what we like to encourage is that when we are communicating with families, when we are communicating with parents or guardians, we want to make sure that we are addressing at least a couple of those core wants. Helpful, intelligent, confident, and familiar. So some of the questions that I like to ask when we're sending home correspondence or teachers are creating correspondence to go to families, some questions I like to ask is, well, first of all, how do you know if they even received your communication or if they read it? And how do you make sure that it's accessible for all parents? And ask questions like, how often do you communicate? For most of the time, parents are receiving communication in a way that's more generalized. This is what we're doing for the week or this is what we're doing for the month. But how often do we give specifics about exactly what we want their role to be in supporting their children? What strategy should they be doing? This is what I would like to ask of you as the parent and as also a co-teacher of the children. How much information, if at all, are we giving to parents to let them know this is what we want from you? And my research has found it's almost never happening. So parents want to help. Parents want to be part of the solution and help their children, but yet they don't really know what to do, especially in mathematics, where that's the area that they're the least comfortable.
So I have seen over the course, probably over the course of the last 10 years, maybe a little bit longer than that, um, as math started to change, and I, and I am talking about the elementary level, especially where parents really are, uh, you know, helping their children with their homework and, and are, you know, more engaged than in the junior high and high school levels. What I've seen is that there have been some schools that have workshops for parents to help um, acquaint them with the math curriculum, um, you know, find ways to help the parents to understand, to let down that anxiety about mathematics. So that's been a best, best practice that I've seen happening over the course of the last decade or so. Um, have you seen that happening? Do you think it's helpful? And are there any other best practices that you can offer? Well, Colleen, I'm going to tell you that your idea or what you've observed is one of the best ones. Many times we see schools um, or, or, or individual teachers run a family math night, which is great. And I absolutely love it. You get everybody together and we're doing math together. But just as important, if not more important, is this idea of having an information session for parents about this is what we're doing for the year. Here's what your role should be. Here are the supports that we're offering. Um, and what we don't want you to do is just immediately teach that rote algorithm. Yes, we're gonna get to the rote algorithm. There's no doubt about that, but we wanna start it away for conceptual understanding. So that I wanna just emphasize is a great idea. Let me share a couple other ones. Um, many times educators, and I fall into this trap as well, we use what's called education jargon or edu-speak. And we use all these terms that we know and we use because we're educators. Well, parents don't necessarily know what they are. So make sure when we are communicating with parents, we assume they don't know anything about education or any of these terms uh, that we would use within, within education. So starting off, it's a little bit of a um, scary thing for parents when they're like, well, I don't know what you mean by this mathematical idea, or I don't know what you mean about this abbreviation, if you will. So that's a, that's a good suggestion. Also, when we communicate, many times we look at the language as being deficit-based. I'm a proponent of asset or strength-based language. So what I mean by this is that instead of it being negative, 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 or Johnny is not doing his homework, he can't do this, can you get him to do some homework or get him to learn his multiplication tables? Ah, instead of that, well, Johnny's really doing very well, and he knows his multiplication facts up to the number five. If there's a way that when you're at home tonight with, at dinner or after dinner or playing a game, if you could work on the multiplication tables from six to nine, that's where he struggles, it would be most appreciated. So framing things not always in a negative or deficit-based way, because 90% of the time when we hear about uh, how our child is doing from a teacher, it's because there's a problem as opposed to just that hey, by the way, they're doing great, or so-and-so did a great job. Having that strength-based language is also important. And finally, I think it's just really important that you view the parents as partners. Many times within education, more public school than Catholic school, um, that we feel as though parents are not out to help. Like, I don't want to share that with the parents because they're just going to screw it up. Or I don't want anybody else teaching the students. I'm the one that should be teaching them. And that's a very poor attitude to have. And if we embrace, encourage the most important stakeholder, the parents, and get them on our side and teach them what they can be doing to help the kids, I can promise you not only will the relationship get better, but the students themselves will perform better. 
Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's the core of our belief uh, as well in Catholic schools. So as you were talking, so here's where my brain went. As you were talking, um, I was thinking about um, academic vocabulary. So you, you pointed out something that it's like, I know it in the back of my mind, but it just became very obvious to me that we often ask parents, particularly of elementary, um, elementary school children to help the kids with vocabulary, right? And parents are used to helping their children with vocabulary for the stories that they're reading. So they do it for English language arts. They help with vocabulary and science. There are always science terms to learn, but we don't always ask parents to help children with the math vocabulary. That would also be really helpful for parents to then learn that vocabulary. Um, so, you know, you just, you gave me an idea that, that I can use to help math instruction um, you know, for this, the teachers that I help with PD moving forward. So I, re I appreciate what you just said and, I, and I'm learning from you. And that's, so this is a good day for me. Well, I got to tell you, Colleen, you're absolutely <laughs> correct about that. And you said in the open about how sometimes you struggle about say, well, how can I incorporate the, you know, as an ELA specialist that you are mm -hmm. into the mathematics. And that's exactly it. The idea of the vocabulary is a great thing that you can see between the two subject areas. And we do, we spend so much time on vocabulary uh, in, within the English language, if you will. And how much time do we spend with it at home learning and understanding within the mathematics? Very rarely, if ever. So 100% agree with you. That would be a great thing to utilize at home. Another suggestion of what families can do at home, in addition to the vocabulary, is just playing games with the kids. Kids love games. And there's great games available that have embedded mathematics into it. Let me share a few examples for your listeners that would be very appropriate for both elementary and middle school. One of them, Albert's Insomnia. Great game for fact fluency. In addition, the game 24, another great game for fact fluency. Two games created by my good friend and colleague, Dan Finkel, Prime Climb and Tiny Polka Dot. So these are games that kids authentically enjoy playing. I do it half an hour every night with my kids after dinner different games for different kids based on their ages, but they don't think of it as practicing math or learning math. They think of it as a fun activity to be able to do it with their dad. And I'll tell you, it helps them so much with their mathematical fluency and their understanding. So I would encourage games in addition to that vocabulary acquisition. That's great. Thank you for those suggestions. So what have you seen over the course of the last uh, little while, to, let's just say two years, between parents and educators and their relationships, their partnerships? How have the relationships changed during the time that students have been doing online education? Well, I would say that they are now more important than ever. The parental involvement for instruction and support is at the highest level it has ever been. And for any educator to feel as though that they do not want to have parents being a support mechanism is really doing a disservice to their students. So because it's so critical, what we as the educators, both the teachers and the administrators need to do, as I've said a little bit earlier, is provide a way as to what exactly they should be doing. So my suggestion for that is when we send home those weekly or bi-weekly newsletters about what we're covering in chapter four within the textbook, in addition to saying this is the concept, 
provide information for them as to what their role should be. This is what I would like to ask of you to do. I would like you to play this particular game with the kids, or I would like you to see the way we're teaching this topic and I want you to emulate it, support it when you're working with your own children so that they're gonna get the same message both at home and at school. Because many times the teachers will be teaching it the way that's within their program, within let's say the Sadly or program that they're using, and then they go home and their teacher and then their parent shows them a completely different method. And then it can be a little bit confusing because they're like, well, that's not how I just learned it in my class. Well, this is the way I learned it. And so if we don't alert the parents as to what exactly they should be doing to support, it's not going to be productive for the kids. So in my experience as a parent, exactly what you're just saying, you know, reminded me, I do have one of my sons who's just, he's not mathematically minded, much like me, he's much more verbal, um, but he's one of those students like many kids that say, I can't do math. My brain just doesn't work that way. And that can be very, it's its hard as a parent to hear that because you, you do want to help your child. But, um, you know, when, when the struggle is, is there and it's real, how do we get past that? So what can we do about children who believe that they can't do math because their brains don't work that way? What do you suggest? Well, the answer is simple, but complicated. It's simple in that it's only two words growth mindset, but it's complicated because it's not easy to be able to incorporate both with students and parents. Quick background in regards to growth mindset. This is the work of Carol Dweck, Stanford professor that has been advanced by Dr. Joe Bowler, also a Stanford professor over the last 20 to 30 years. And the idea is that there's two types of mindsets that all people have, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. A fixed mindset has the belief that your intelligence is static. It's a desire that you feel like either I am a math person or I'm not a math person and there's no in between and there's no way to change. Whereas a growth mindset, everyone's intelligence, with the exception of those that have severe disabilities, it can be developed over time. So when you have a growth mindset, some examples, when you have challenges in front of you, you embrace the challenges as opposed to avoiding them. When there are things related to obstacles, well, you have that perseverance or persistence. In regards to effort, we're willing to give maximum effort as opposed to just giving up and stop trying. And the idea that if we believe that all students have the ability to do math and can be successful with it, it changes their mindset and also can change their performance. But we also have to talk about it, not just from the perspective of students, but on the perspective of parents. Because you see, parents very rarely, if ever, will say things to their kids that, I hate reading, or I'm illiterate, I don't know how to write. Because within society, that's something that's very embarrassing. If you go to a dinner party and you tell people that you don't know how to read, people, oh my gosh, let me help you. What can we do? What can we do to support you? But if you say, I hate math or I can't do math, well, all of a sudden you're the coolest person in the party. People want to high five you and then they have their own stories to share. But now think of it from the perspective of a child. If they see their role model, their, their mother or their father says, well, I can't do this algebra one. I, I don't know how to add these fractions the way they're doing it. They say, oh my gosh, the person I look up to the most is not able to do it. 
how am I as a 10 year old ever going to be able to do this math when the person that the DNA my genes are from is telling me that they don't have that ability to do. So two parts to it. One, promote the idea of growth mindset. Learn more about it if it's something you're not familiar with. And two, if you do have negative feelings about math, that's okay. Well, it's really not, but nonetheless, it's okay. <laughs> Just hide them from the kids because they will feel the same way about math that you do because it is something that they will take on to them. Say, my dad doesn't know how to do the math, so I'm in big trouble. So that this concept of, you know, children have anxiety about mathematics. Parents have a lot of anxiety about mathematics. You know what? They all just need to watch the, the Sesame Street video. Have you, have you listened to the song, The Power of Yet? Have you listened to that? Power of yet. You know, it's a great point. That one word yet is so important that parents and educators should be bringing in that if you just add the word yet in, it changes things so much because at some point we didn't know how to ride a bike. We didn't know how to walk. We didn't know how to talk. We didn't know how to shoot a basketball, whatever it is, but we couldn't do it yet. But eventually with hard work and perseverance, we will be able to succeed. So that's a great idea that that Sesame Street is a great idea for that idea about yet and the power of that one word. It's good for everybody. So, so let's, let me just ask you one more question. Um, what, what would you say educators, you know, as, as educators are thinking about improving those relationships, bridging between the school and the home to support children in mathematics education, what should educators be communicating to parents about math education? So I'm going to come back to those four core wants that I talked about earlier. And as a reminder, it is that parents want to feel helpful, intelligent, confident, and familiar. So when you are communicating to parents, let's make sure that we're hitting at least a couple of those. If not, maybe that correspondence doesn't need to go out uh, as its own document because sometimes we overwhelm parents with too much. So what are some things that I think are important to communicate about? Starting off the beginning of the year with a letter about the entire year, what we're studying, and again, what parents can be doing to supporting them. I think it's important to be able to send updates with each chapter, with each unit that we're studying, exactly what's happening in it and what their role should be. But it's also important for parents to kind of understand that the way we learned math 20, 30 years ago is not the way we learn math today. Not because of necessarily some of these you know, crazy things like Common Core. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do that math instruction, just like everything else evolves over time. Think about the cell phone or when we were on telephones, we had rotary phones, we had landlines, we had those flip phones. And now we're, we're using these phones that do incredible things. They basically can drive your car for you. They evolve over time. So as we have learned more about how kids learn, how students learn, we are adjusting the way we are teaching them. And part of that has to do with focusing a little bit less on all of the procedures and the memorization and focusing more on that conceptual understanding and knowing how and why things work. I want to just finish by saying, if I have a choice between having my child understand the Pythagorean theorem, be able to identify it in a problem that we need to be able to use it and know what exactly happens, 
I would absolutely take that over someone who doesn't know when to use it. But if they're given a test and they say, plug in these numbers using the Pythagorean theorem, like a computer, I could figure it out. That to me is not what we're preparing our students to be good at. We're not testing them to be good as computers or calculators. We want them to be good problem solvers. We want them to be rational thinkers. We want them to be able to take ideas, be able to remember, recall it, and then incorporate it in the future. And so that's how and why we're teaching math the way that we are today. Well, we would never today go to a doctor that was using equipment from the 1950s, would we? we, we no, would I don't think so, because we would right? be getting, <laughs> we would not be coming out as healthy as we are today, that's for sure. So, you know, if we can compare education to all of the other industries where we expect progress to be taking place, we do have to always be making progress in education as well. So um, I, I have to say, you know, one of the reasons why I love doing the podcast interviews, it, I, I get to spend a half an hour learning from my guests every single time. And this has been a wonderful learning experience for me. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Colleen, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you to you and the NCEA. And anytime you would like me to come back on, it would be a pleasure and an honor to be able to chat with you more. Absolutely. I, I would look forward to that. So to our listeners, I just want to thank Dr. Matthew Beranavand for joining me today, as well as all of you for download, downloading, subscribing, and sharing this NCEA podcast with your communities. Special thanks to Sadlier for sponsoring this episode and all their support to our schools and to NCEA. Have a great day, everyone. It's always a great day at NCEA, and I'll see you next time. 